This week on Hyperspace Broadcast, we constantly divert focus to a mercenary king having other adventures elsewhere. And welcome to another episode of Hyperspace Broadcast, a show where two real friends dig through Toonami's back catalog and try to determine what, if anything, is worth revisiting. I'm Michael Doak. And I'm Peter Eby. And this week we are concluding our coverage of Record of Lodos War Chronicles of the Heroic Night with episodes 15 through 27. Uh, We are finally done with this show, and I think we're just going to get right into the synopsis because, once again... It is more complicated than it strictly needs to be. Yep. Now, to start off, I'm just going to try to provide as much a recap as possible with the previous uh, episode where we covered this show, so bear with me for a moment. So where we left off, the wannabe knight Spark and his friends were traveling across the cursed island of Lodos trying to recover two magical artifacts, the Soul Crystal Ball and the Staff of Life, which are keys that the villain Vagnard is trying to use to resurrect the destroyer god Cardus so that he can kill everyone and rule over a kingdom of the dead. Uh, the main characters just discovered that a girl named Nice is the quote-unquote doorway these keys open because she has the soul of a priestess of the destroyer god named Neneel basically resurrected inside her but kind of trapped a la the sunken place in Get Out. Basically, Neneel is in there uh, and can't actually control Nice, but she's in there and Wagner's trying to free Neneel so he can bring Cardus to kill everybody. Uh, meanwhile, there are like wars raging across Lodos and Spark's friends are Garrick, who is a nobleman posing as a mercenary to keep Spark safe from their king, uh, whose name is Kashu. There is a an elf girl named Leaf. Uh, there is a thief named Rhina, who they picked up during their travels. There's a mage named Aldenova, who is supposed to keep Nice safe. And then there is a dwarf cleric named Grievous. Oh, Grievous. <laughs> yeah, it, Grievous, who is irrelevant, could probably be taken yep. out of the show entirely, and it wouldn't matter. You're not going to hear us say his name again at one point and, during and this f- synopsis. For that matter, you could also remove Leaf, Rhina... And Aldenova from the show. Yeah, uh, Rhina and Aldenova kind of do stuff, at least. I mean, Rhina <laughs> helps them later, and Aldenova is sad about Nice at various points. But there are a bunch of other characters, too. I mean, there are about yeah. ten other characters who the show thinks are relevant uh, and keeps cutting across to what they're up to. There are basically five different storylines running throughout this arc which is ridiculous and to briefly outline those storylines we've got the free knight parn and his elf girlfriend slash magician deedleet leading a free army against the forces of the dark island of marmo uh we have king kashu king of flame fighting a campaign against the sinister duke raster who sided with marmo for whatever reason uh we have the Grey Witch, Carla, and the villain, Vagnard, having disagreements about how to use the doorway and whether or not to resurrect Cardus. And then we have the knight, uh, Ashram, who has his own doubts about Vagnard and a rivalry with Parn that is still ongoing. And we check yep. in with these other storylines every once in a while instead of allowing time for Spark and his friends to develop any kind of camaraderie or friendship <laughs> Or character, basically. Yeah, or any depth, yeah. <laughs> so, picking up where we left off, uh, Parn and Deedleet are leading the Kanan Free Army, and they move to invade a town held by Governor Robido, who is like a, an asshole who was appointed by the Marmo. But then they find out that he's already been deposed by Ashram, who... You may remember Ashram from the last block of episodes we watched in which he, uh, in the last arc, which took place like, I don't know, five or ten years ago. It was ago. ten Doesn't years really prior to the ten. beginning of okay. this one. That's right. So 
<laughs> Ashram uh, failed to get this cool staff and uh, jumped into lava and died. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, on but, screen. But fortunately, he was saved by his, uh, I guess, mage buddy Groder. So <laughs> Ashram is still around, and Ashram has gone through this kind of development where basically his goal is he wants to find, like, a home for the people of Marmo. That's his motivation at this point, and yeah. he's not really a fan of how the current leaders of Marmo are doing all this evil stuff, it seems. So he encounters Parn and basically is like, I already freed this city, they've all evacuated, and now I'm going to leave. And he does. And that's that episode. Who yep. cares? <laughs> so back to Spark and his friends. Uh, they arrive in the kingdom of Valis, which is led by King Ato. You might remember Ato from the OVA, and if you haven't seen the OVA, you won't remember him at all. You might not, even yep. if you did see the OVA, because he's kind of nothing in that, too. But yeah. <laughs> basically, Ato is like a priest king of this holy city, uh, the Temple of Phallus, not to be confused with the fact that the kingdom that it's in is called Valis. I'm not making this up. They're just two nearly identical words that mean completely different things and are proper <laughs> names in this fantasy world. Yep. Uh, basically, the temple has the Staff of Life, which is the second key. So Spark and his friends are trying to secure passage to Kanan so that they can get to Marmo and possibly intercept the people who stole the Soul Crystal Ball. Uh, so Rhina spreads a rumor that they're actually looking to work as mercenaries for the Marmo, and then they're attacked by a bunch of loyal knights of Valis because, you know, they're Marmo mercenaries looking for work for the enemy in the middle of an occupied town. Eventually, this leads to Spark being saved by a guy named Jay, who is a Marmo agent embedded in the town, and then Jay and his forces try to sack the temple and steal the Staff of Life, but Spark's buddies stop them. There's also some business where Spark is uncertain because technically he was supposed to go back to the Kingdom of Flame after failing to retrieve the soul crystal ball but he decides not to in order to save nice uh she gets magically attacked by vognard but manages to resist the magic with the help of all of her friends who are there and they're off to Kanan uh on another ship that is the um pretty sure the only time in the series in which rhina is useful and you, you'll find different parts like right like that's the one part where like she does cool thief things where it's like yeah pretty i'm much. gonna spread a rumor around town to get collect information and to be <laughs> fair she's also the one who advises them of like oh this is where i would go if i was trying to like fence you know this soul crystal ball or like sure this is the but route yeah. that i would take to get back to marmo if i had stolen it um, but yes, basically, this is the point where Rhina has her important moment, and she flirts yeah. with Spark a bunch, which is funny because it doesn't go anywhere, uh, but it yeah. is extremely awkward, so, you know, you have that to look forward to. She does at one point wink at, the, it, wink at Spark, and she winks so slowly that it seemed like she was animatronic. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's uh, something totally robotic <laughs> amount of, and just it, the way the flirting works in general is so weird and, like... Yeah. They just stand in places and say words at each other that are kind of like flirting, and then she winks, and it's so inhuman that, <laughs> uh, yes, it, as you said, it's animatronic. Uh, it's, you can it's imagine, ridiculous. yeah, like like cartoon like screeching sound effects of her slow winking eye shutting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like sparks like, grinding what, what off the, the sides of it as it slowly closes <laughs> against its like built up rust. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she hasn't winked in so long, and we're finally activating that function for the first time <laughs> yeah. in forever. Not since the last Chuck E. Cheese show she did. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so when they arrive in Kanan, uh, this is episode nineteen. It's called "Reunion in a Distant Land." This is actually my favorite episode of this block, and I and I say that legitimately. This I think is mm -hmm. the one good episode in this show. Uh, basically, <laughs> the gist of it is that. 
niece is being treated like kind of baggage by everybody. Not baggage necessarily, but everyone is treating her with kid gloves because they need to protect her. So like, yeah, uh, Leaf goes out and picks a bunch of fruit, and then all the Nova's like, "No, lady niece, you can't eat that. It might be bad. Here, I'll make something for you." And then she tries to go, you know, stand watch, and Spark is all, no, no, niece, you can't stand watch. You're the one we're trying to protect, so go back and sleep. Um, And she has this arc through the episode where she has to use magic to save Spark while they're fighting an ogre, and then they kind of team up and kill the ogre. And it's indicated that now maybe everyone in the party respects her. And really, that's why this is a good episode. Like, it's one of the few where there is an identifiable change in a character throughout the course of it. It's one of the few that actually stays on the main characters for its entire runtime. And it's one of the few where, like, the main characters are involved in a climactic battle that's exciting and interesting and like yeah. stuff happens that's unprecedented. It it doesn't just end by a giant Deus Ex Machina or something. Yeah, or it's not just King Kashu fighting Duke Raster, two characters yeah. who are completely irrelevant to the story <laughs> at large. But yeah, still, we have to check in with for unknown reasons. And, and it also has like character developmental arc within the episode, like, you know, like a good show would do. Yeah, right. <laughs> like a so, little developmental arc. <laughs> right. So I would say that episode 19 is probably the best of the show for my money. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to my zenith later. Anyway, at the end, they meet up with Parn and his free army. So now basically those two groups of characters are together and now we have a massive 12 person party <laughs> yeah right well not not quite yet because uh slain and lelia and the rest of them aren't with them quite yet but so it's a mere massive eight person party <laughs> at this point uh so they have a banquet in honor of the good guys basically uh, and Nice and Spark are getting really close. It looks like they might have feelings for each other, and they have this uh, isolated, intimate like conversation in a field of flowers. And then Vagnard teleports into Cockblock, basically, and steals <laughs> Nice away. And it's honestly very comical how like the second that Nice develops feelings for a character, Vagnard teleports in to take her away. I don't know why. I just thought it was really funny. In fairness, I mean, this is a little grody, but Nice does need to reign a virgin in order for yeah, the plan to work. Yep, because that's a thing. But I, I don't know. It's just it, it makes Vagnard seem like an overprotective dad. It's uh, kind yeah. of funny. He's he and Aldenova are like sharing custody. Yeah, right, right. It's like, it's the weekend, you're mine now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So, now that Vagnard has Nice and the two artifacts, he has all he needs to summon Cardus, and the clock is ticking, and Vagnard is occasionally just shown to be chanting while standing over (laughs) Nice's body, casting some spell, and he's chanting nonsense, which... Sometimes, like, might as well just be a list of Gundam names that someone is yeah. kind of saying in a random order. Like, he definitely says Gelgoog. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, it's just r- really strange because it keeps cutting back to these scenes and he'll be like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Now I'll be able to rule the kingdom of the dead as soon as I can get Cardis out of this girl. Gelgoog Zudazakusazami. And it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Like... <laughs> There's no indication that he's getting any closer to his goal at any point during all of this. He just, it'll just cut to him chanting sometimes, and you just kind of got to deal with it. You have to deal with a lot of chanting. And, you know, you never really know when it's going to finish. It's just like, this is the, hey guys, <laughs> it's a clock ticking moment of the chant still happening. And, you know, I guess he's got to get tired eventually <laughs> or yeah, finish and I, and chanting. I, uh, yeah, so I, one would have to assume that something will happen at some point, but we don't know when because there's no, no indication. Yeah, there's just yeah. nothing. So it's a ticking clock with no hands, basically. You, there's no way to know <laughs> what time it is. It's just ticking yeah, away, great. and you're worried that you're late for something. 
Spark, of course, wants to go after Nice immediately, but Parn is like, no, we got to be patient. So they capture this port city uh, instead, which is right next to the island of Marmo. So basically, they've just driven Marmo off Lodos entirely uh, so they can stage their final attack. And th this is a minor point, but it is funny because the siege goes absolutely as perfectly as any siege could possibly go. Parn's forces are outnumbered by the force they are besieging, and they still win, and no main character is injured. I don't think we see yeah. a single free knight get hurt on screen. They just, like, walk in and take the city, and Ashram bounces. And it's hilarious how anticlimactic it is. It's just like, all right, we did it. On to the next. It's like they, they did like a full on ambush where they're completely confused in a siege, which seems like shouldn't be totally possible. <laughs> yeah, they they kind of justify it by saying that like Ashram wasn't expecting Parn's force to attack without reinforcements, but it's still strange. Like, again, they're yeah, attacking it, like, a this... walled city and they, ju they just walk in and somehow the defenders are caught completely unprepared to fight it's yeah, the soldiers whatever. are like com completely bamboozled it's as if they just like left the gate open and we're like that's yeah, fine <laughs> yeah like, pretty much then it would make sense why they'd be so confused but instead they have like what the weakest town like giant town portcullis gate <laughs> that that's literally four dudes open. and a small log just knock over in one hit yeah right like, <laughs> like okay it's and and we're belaboring the point of the siege, but it is just yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it's funny how easily the heroes accomplish most of the things in this show. And the siege is a very good example because yeah. there is the good guys no resistance everything. at all. There's just no resistance. They just walk in and win. And to be fair, they fail a couple of times to like protect something from being stolen, but they never really lose battles necessarily. Yeah, never. Like, there's never, I've, I've never felt a threat. They're like, oh, they might lose this one. Whoa, a character might be hurt. Nope. No, just nothing. Just, they roll over every fucking encounter. <laughs> this whole show is watching, is like watching a poorly run D&D campaign in which a party of 14 <laughs> main characters just destroy every challenge that approaches them. Yeah, pretty much. And when they can't, someone else comes in to do it for them. But we'll get to that yeah. in a second. So yep. at this point, uh, Spark and his friends decide to go to Marmo. And also they've met up with basically everybody from the original party that like Parn was in in the first arc of the OVA. So... Yeah, now it is a full 12 characters all traveling together. And I would list them, except it's pointless. All hanging out. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's everyone's favorites. You got Parn and Slain and Lelia and Mar and uh, Hob and some other Hob. characters. And then the main characters that Spark is with. It's great. It's all your favorites, and they all have no time to do anything. Yeah. So they sail to Marmo. They arrive, they get separated in a magic forest for a hot minute, and then they run into Carla the Grey Witch. Now, you probably don't remember who Carla is, unless you listen to our OVA coverage, because in this show, uh, Carla was last mentioned in episode two, and her first appearance <laughs> in this show is in episode, I think, 18, so... That's oh 16 God. episodes of time for you to forget about this character who is only mentioned as a historical footnote in a thing that was being said to set up something else, basically. And Carla is a fairly complicated character because, basically, she is a soul that possesses other people's bodies using a, like, magic circlet, and she has been manipulating events on Lodo secretly for years because she thinks that the reason that her kingdom, the kingdom of sorcery, Castul, fell is because they got too powerful, and therefore, whenever anyone gets too powerful, their destiny is to fall. So she's trying to keep anyone from becoming too powerful by making it so that Lodos is constantly fighting wars and no one can be, you know, too strong and destroy themselves, I guess. Yeah, and of course she's she's not good or evil, hence. Yeah, hence the Grey Witch. So 
she shows up and basically explains her motivation and then says, hey, fight this dragon nurse that I happen to have that also wasn't established in this show, but it was in the OVA. Uh, and so everyone tries to fight the dragon for a little bit, but then, hey, a bunch of dragon riders from the kingdom of Moss come in the kingdom of Moss, that place we've never been, never really on. met anyone from. <laughs> now you're, you're starting to step into my territory here. This, <laughs> okay, fair this enough. is my nadir. Uh, episode 24, the witch, the one who maintains the balance of power. So like you're saying, the party begins to fight Nars. Nars is a badass-looking dragon, just this black, like, evil dragon. Huge, spreads his wings and blasts, like, purple fire and stuff. He, purple lasers, basically. Yeah, pretty much. He's, he's your standard, like, cool, dark dragon, but he's still pretty cool to see. And he's kicking everyone's asses. And for once, you know, it's like, oh, the main characters are getting their asses beat. And I'm thinking, hey... I remember the last major big dragon battle in this show when they basically <laughs> tricked a dragon into falling into lava and the yeah, lava right. hilariously killed the dragon instantly and it was just over. Yeah. And I was like, they're not going to do me like that again. It's, we're good. So Parn and friends are all having trouble fighting, but then a group of dragon riders, like you said, led by Shiris, the... Um, that one woman from the previous arc yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, just randomly came back. Uh, you know, she's done really well for herself now that she's ditched or Orson in a fucking grave. She's become <laughs> queen of a country. And uh, she flies in with a bunch of other dragon riders. They're riding like little or dragons. And they come in to fight off Nars while the rest of the party runs and goes and gets to the castle to stop the ceremony. And... I was surprised that the battle actually continues here because at first I was like, fuck that. Like, I liked seeing them actually struggle against this dragon. Maybe they'd come up with something creative. But then we see the dragon riders continue fighting and hey, cool. Okay. And they're having trouble and they're getting killed and stuff. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> like instead of like, hey, let's find a cool strategy. Maybe maybe Shiris will like think of something really neat, a cool idea that can circumvent the dragon and they can trick it or kill it or whatever. No. Instead, a golden dragon descends from the sky out of nowhere. A dragon we have never heard of and has never been mentioned in this show and was briefly seen in the OVA maybe, but like not referenced. Yeah, ever. you see, I again, I only watched the first eight episodes of the OVA, so I can't say for certain that this dragon is never mentioned. The gold dragon, um, whose name I can't remember. Off the Biston. Uh, yeah, but Biston, from what I recall, is not brought up at any point prior to this. However, there is a shot in the OVA's opening. It's the last shot of the OVA's yeah. opening that shows all the dragons together. And Biston and like is, in singing. fact, there. So, yeah. technically, I guess you could count that as establishment. But No, it isn't, though. <laughs> but, but for the purpose of this show... I am pretty yeah. certain that Biston is never mentioned, definitely not seen, before he literally descends from the heavens to beat Nars. Yeah, and, and and so I see that, and it's like, okay, that's kind of stupid. But hey, maybe we're going to get a D-War <laughs> and have some dragon fighting dragon action. Uh, no, <laughs> Biston instantly bites Nars in the neck, and the battle's completely over, and it took like, it took like 40 seconds from Bison appearing to the battle being over and no one having to worry about the giant, amazing, cool black dragon that's killing everyone. And that that was just, oh, that made me so mad. Yeah, <laughs> that that's, is, a, that's a moment. <laughs> the main reason why this is a nadir, because it's like, oh, for once... Like and the, the the bits where they're like trying to dodge and get out of the way of of Nars's big attacks, like they're actually kind of doing some animation. It's like, oh, this might actually be an interesting fight. Yeah, it's and like of kind of an exciting battle, actually. Yeah. yeah, and of course it isn't. They completely fuck it over. Other than that, they just have like a big plot talk with Carla, where <laughs> at one point Parn almost like seems to be mansplaining Carla's whole deal to her, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, the, there is a weird moment where Carla, after explaining her motivation, Parn basically like summarizes it for her, which yeah. it just comes across as very strange, honestly. Yeah, and of course we get like 
I don't know, eight minutes solid of more fucking chanting, <laughs> more Wagner oh, chanting nonsense. Just keep cutting back to that ticking clock. So after that disappointment, Spark and Pals arrive at the castle, and basically they're going to try to stop Wagner. But Ashram is there, and so Ashram and Parn have to have their final duel. <laughs> and this is my least favorite episode. This is episode 25, Decision, the Black Knight's Option. And, I mean, first of all, I just think it's annoying because the fight between Ashram and Parn completely overshadows Spark and yeah. his fight with Vognard, mostly because Ashram and Parn have had a lot of buildup at this point. Like, their conflict has gone on for 15 years, I think, since the uh, War of Heroes originally, so... They have a rivalry that has been built up consistently throughout the show, whereas Spark and Vagnard are kind of incidental to each other. Like, yes, yeah. technically Vagnard stole Spark's girlfriend, but, uh, you know, and wants to destroy the world. But, like, Spark has no relation to Vagnard other than that Vagnard is the bad guy he has to stop. Unlike yeah. Parn and Ashram, which have this personal rivalry. Like, I, I don't feel like Parn and Ashram's rivalry felt very, uh, like, earned, it seemed. Like, I know, yeah, they did some, like, they had a bit of a rival from the Age of Kings, but that was more Ashram and, and uh, Cashew over, like, how Beld was killed. But, like, for this series, and, like, and in, <laughs> like, it doesn't really, like, only because Parn beat him in the volcano, like, then I have a rivalry with you. And, and, and like, it just is strange to me. Like, it doesn't seem like the kind of guys who would be like, all right, we have unfinished business. We got to finish the fight with this guy. Like, it just didn't seem earned in a weird way. Right. And to be fair, Ashram does basically say immediately, this fight is pointless. I don't actually even want to defeat you. I just <laughs> yeah. want to leave with my people so we can go found a new home. Because actually, the reason that the Marmo have been invading Lodos forever is because they live on an island overrun with monsters and it's fucking miserable to live there and they just yeah. want to live somewhere else. <laughs> so they've been invading the main island trying to capture territory all this time. And finally, Ashram's like, screw it. I'll just go to another continent and found a nation over there instead. Yeah. Uh, right. So he sails off with all of his buddies, including Pirates, the dark elf, who is in this show but basically does nothing. Um, much like everybody she's basically, else. Yeah, she's basically his Deedly, and that's it. More or less. She's there to fight Deedly while Parn fights Ashram. Yeah. Uh, but hey, one good thing about this episode I will throw out there. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our most annoying, like, shitty side characters who are left, in the, left to be, like, the sideline characters for this fight. <laughs> Hob, the priest who yodels into battle, and fucking Mar, the horrible, squeaky-voiced little bard elf. Yeah. They, at the very awful. least, agree to go with... <laughs> go away and go with uh, with Ashram. It, almost, at Parn, almost at Parn's urging. <laughs> Parn has to be like, stop and be Parn's like... Parn's urging. That's the worst part about this whole thing, is that Ashram leaves. Honestly, that's why this is my least favorite episode. I was literally yelling at the screen... Just really? leave with Ashram because yeah. because Hob went with Ashram initially, was with him through the entire first arc of the show, thinks Ashram is a true hero. And then at the end, when Ashram goes to leave, Hob is not the one who suggests that maybe he should go with Ashram and leave Parn. Instead, Parn has to say, no, go with Ashram because nobody is capable of making actual decisions. They all have to be told what to do by somebody yeah. else. And then right. Mar isn't quite as bad, but Mar too is like, I don't know, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And then eventually it goes with Ashram. I did, I did like imagining it as Parn is telling the two shittiest, most annoying characters to be like, look, just get out of here. <laughs> yeah, right, basically. <laughs> Go to the spinoff, get out of here. <laughs> that's, that's more or less what it is. Uh, it's like, come on, you can leave. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need you here. We never really did. You were kind of superfluous, both of you, this whole time. Anyway, 
at this point, we're pretty much at the climax of the show. Everyone is inside Vagnard's castle. He's chanting and casting this spell, and Neneel has finally been released. So now Nice is possessed by the spirit of Neneel, and Cardis is coming. Everything's bad. Oh, no. Uh, Spark and everyone are pinned down inside the chamber because Vagnard has cast some kind of spell that will basically insta-kill them if they approach him. Uh, meanwhile, Carla is being fought by Slain and Lelia and all the Nova, and that kind of isn't even worth mentioning, but it is happening in the same room. Uh, so Spark formulates a plan. Basically, he's going to bum rush Vagnard, and then Garrick is going to come behind him. So Spark will be killed by the spell, but then uh, Garrick will be able to kill Vagnard and presumably stop the spell and stop the ritual and save everybody. But instead, Garrick runs up and gets killed instead of Spark. And no. then after he dies, uh, I mean, Spark stabs Vagnard and Vagnard dies, but it doesn't stop anything. <laughs> but we do have a scene, which for me is hilarious, where Reina explains to everybody that the reason that uh, Garrick sacrificed himself was because he was ordered to by Kashu. You know, he was ordered to protect Spark and this was his big secret. But but it <laughs> needs to be explained to everybody because, again, Garrick couldn't have made the decision independently. He had to basically be ordered to do what he does. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily it was self-sacrifice, but not motivated by anything Garrick believed in or wanted. It was motivated by Kashu telling him, hey, put yourself between a bullet and spark if you get the chance because yeah, spark yeah. is important so for some reason that's great yeah <laughs> well spark i think is going to be the king of flame i be i believe that's the idea oh, God. he's definitely going to be king of something <laughs> he's like a prince of some capacity but yeah at any rate, yes. So Garrick dies not because he wanted to do anything necessarily, and it's explained to us piecemeal after the fact. Anyway, uh, now bad shit is happening, and I think that this is your... Yeah, this is my zenith. Yeah, so this is your zenith. For a little while, everyone's like, oh, everything's great. We we knocked the circlet off of Carla's head, so she's no longer Carla, <laughs> and Wagnard's dead. So everything's fine. But then, no, actually, like, Neneel manages to get the uh, circlet somehow. I guess it just kind of flies onto her head. Yeah, the and, circlet has a mind of its own, sort of. Yeah. Like, it, you know, it possesses people. Yeah. So it can fly around and land on people's <laughs> heads, I guess. Yeah. We don't see it, but it just appears on her head. And it's like, oh, shit. So now Carla in Neneel... Uh, sacrifices herself, sort of, or begins to, I guess. And Cardus is reawakened and summoned and kind of just it's, appears as like this kind of feminine face in the these dark billowing clouds overhead. And everything starts going really bad. All the clouds like turn super dark and like red lightning shooting everywhere. And you get these little wraiths flying around and the wraiths will kill anyone they touch. And so you know those spread even as far as like the mainland from the island yeah so rest assured we get to see kashu react to all of this because everyone yeah. cares what kashu has to say yeah yeah <laughs> and you know it, yeah and he and he's like we gotta head over to that island which doesn't matter um <laughs> meanwhile of course because where else are the characters gonna go spark has been kind of consumed into a anime metaphysical realm yep. the um the kind of place where outlaw star ended the kind of place where uh madoka ended in some places you know the, a lot of anime just the last episode or final climactic battle or whatever will just take place in a weird metaphysical space that might be inside someone's head or something like that <laughs> this yeah, one that's kind of hard to tell it's just yeah. sort of a magic place where the characters can interact without the constraints yeah. of time or necessarily like physicality yeah and so in this case it's i think it's supposed to be inside niece's head because it's like niece yeah, right, right. and neneel as split personalities talking to each other as like different separate people and you know neneel taunts him taunts spark and being like hey you can't kill Neneel. You can't kill me because you'll kill Nice. Haha. <laughs> and then 
niece starts praying to Marfa, which like starts causing problems, I guess, <laughs> in the outside world, and they think it's going to make things worse. But then she prays to Marfa and comes to accept Neneel as her other personality. And Neneel's like, hell yeah, I'm all about this. Like, now I'm going to take over. But because she's like being, she's kind of like, because Nice is kind of like, uh, I don't know, adopting like this holy kind of attitude with Marfa and like accepting um, instead of rejecting her other self, uh, she just kind of accepts Neneel and then. I don't know, eradicates her on contact, I guess. Because yeah, the, the impression the I got of her overpowered the evil of Neneel and Or something. Some the, shit like that. The impression that I got was that she was basically re imprisoning Neneel inside her as like a I don't know, I guess not separate entity, but like I, I think I think what they're going for is that she's absorbing Neneel, but in such a way that she is still the dominant personality. Like, yeah, I was thinking they kind of becoming one, but is yeah, is like still I don't know blessed by Marfa, and Marfa kind of appears out of the sky and does the same thing with Cardus, and right. so suddenly everything's great, and then you know Spark and Nice reappear. Spark's holding Nice, well, and Marfa on. goes to him, and it's just yeah. like <laughs> Marfa, this amazing goddess, is like, hey, you have a choice, young knight. Uh, you can basically let me take over niece's body and you know the niece you know will die but i as a the goddess will lead the lotus into peace forever and everything will be great or i guess you can not do that and probably doom your country that's already cursed <laughs> it's just so you well, can get this yeah. girl back that you like now and, to be fair you say oh, no, that. I was going to say, in fairness, like, Spark is like, well, you know what? Like, uh, I think we should only get, like, w we need to make our own peace here, not get, like, you know. Magic peace made by God. Yeah. Yeah, like, force a peace into place, which, sure. And uh, you know what? I actually did like that point he made, even, you know, for what it's worth. The, um... And then Marfa's just like, okay, <laughs> and leaves, and Nice is fine. And then, for some reason, Garrick comes back to life. <laughs> yeah, Garrick gets resurrected, too, which is fucking really funny it's to me. It's so stupid. And also, weirdly, so so basically, then it's just a wrap-up. Like, Spark yeah. gets knighted officially, uh, Parn gets knighted officially, and we're told that the island Parn of Parn gets, Lodos, like, super knighted. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's now the knight of all Lodos. Right, and and we're told that Lodos was no longer known as the Cursed Island. Now, what I was going to point out about Spark having to decide between uh, the islands becoming peaceful forever or, like, the girl that he likes is that, fortunately for him, the story has been set up such that that's not actually a decision because <laughs> Marmo is true. destroyed. It is the Lodos is already entirely peaceful by this point. All of the rulers like each other and have been in alliance with each other to drive out the Marmo. So he, he's not even making a decision. He doesn't have to sacrifice anything. Yeah. It's just, do you want your girlfriend back or do you want uh, me to make mega peace instead of the peace <laughs> that already exists? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Rhina and Garrick end up together, I guess. I don't understand where that came from, but... You know, they kept each other's secrets, so... Whatever. The, this I, I kind of liked the last episode because I thought the visuals were cool of, like, Cardus's evil power spreading everywhere. And I guess I thought Spark's reasoning made sense, even though you rightly poked some big holes in it. <laughs> uh, right. And most of all, the reason I, I like this episode best is because it is the final episode and we don't have to watch any more <laughs> yeah. of this garbage. And it means that we're done. Yeah. So we're going to get to our break. When we get back, we're going to talk about our thoughts on this series, give a recommendation, uh, talk about the results of the bet, and then talk about the future of the podcast. So yeah, we'll see you in a few minutes. Record of Lodos War will return in a moment. 
Hey everyone, it's Michael jumping in during the break to do what I always do, giving you some acknowledgments and apologize for the episode being delayed by a day. Uh, one of the audio files was not uploaded to Google Drive, so I could not edit it yesterday until Peter got home from work. So, sorry. Our opening and closing music is, as always, Vapor Diving, and the music for the bumpers is Monkeys. Both of these tracks are by Onitek, that is A-N-I-T-E-K. You can find more of their music on SoundCloud. Rights were secured through Gemendo. Our New Year's special will release on January 13th. As always, you can submit a topic or show suggestion for minisodes via DM on Facebook.com slash HBPod, Twitter at HBPod, or you can email us at hyperspacebroadcastpod at gmail.com. And now, back to Record of Lodos War. And we are back, Peter. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about this show? What did you think about this arc? What did you think about the show overall? Yeah, well, I'll in tell case you, I wasn't already aware. Yeah, it, it definitely didn't um, redeem itself from its position. That no, it, it was, did not. You know, two weeks ago when we covered the first half of this crap, uh, the voice acting's still quite bad, and I get that there was a lot of extenuating circumstances that caused that, but also. You know, the writing of the show itself is just completely uninteresting. The characters don't go anywhere. I, I, uh, I just, you know, there's like tiny bits of character development for Spark that last over a long period of time. It's like very little growth. Same with Nice, I guess. Um, like I mean, the one nice episode has that has Nice actual growth. development. And to be fair, like Nice accepting Neil at the end is also a pretty big That's moment true. for her because she's been fighting her destiny this whole time. And now she's finally accepting it. Like, yeah, which is not to say that it's done particularly well, but th those moments do happen. That's the true. rest of the characters have almost no character yeah. development. Yeah. And there's like 14 of them. <laughs> <laughs> the that's aiming low yeah and, and it and you know it, it's like it's it just doesn't work Ugh. and it's like i'm not interested the characters don't say or do or act interesting at all either they're just like they've vague kind of one-dimensional personalities you know like oh here's the the manly kind of mercenary guy here's the young girl who's i don't know fighting her destiny and then, then here's like the other girl who's just i don't know along for the ride i guess like there's right it, it like it's telling that in trying to summarize the characters yeah. you end up with people like grievous the dwarf cleric who what is so like nothing he just has so little yeah. actual interesting character stuff and it's like just so many characters could have been cut out of this show entirely without really making any difference. Yeah. Which is really annoying. For one, King Cashew's entire like situation in this in all of like the Spark story doesn't fucking yeah, matter. Well, let me Yeah, and I want to jump in yeah. here because like I hated this show. I really hated it. This, I think, is one of the worst shows that I've watched, period. Not just for this podcast, yeah. but just at all. Um, and one of the big problems is tied in with your point about Kashu, which is that the character does... The show does not seem to actually understand who its main characters are. And that is extremely annoying. Like, Spark is the main character of this arc, it's about him and Nice and like trying to stop Vagnard. But we have all of these other characters that are leftovers from previous arcs that we still check in on like constantly. I mean, literally, the last episode, halfway through the climax of the whole show, the climax that is important for Spark and for Nice and for these other characters. Halfway through, we have to cut to Kashu on a ship sailing towards Marmo. Yeah. Why? Who cares about Kashu? But he shows up constantly. We're constantly checking in with him or with Parn or with fucking Ashram or with Carla and Vagnard. And like, 
most of them don't actually have anything to do with Spark or the quest that Spark is on. They are just other characters having simultaneous stories that could be cut entirely and you would lose nothing. Yeah. I think this show goes like so tries to go so hard into world building into being like oh it's a, this whole world and it's all these stories are happening at once that it's like it just comes out with a ton of baggage just like story baggage like I don't need to know about fucking I don't need to know at all what <laughs> Cashew is doing <laughs> across the continent like just tell me later if he shows up if he if he shows up which he doesn't show up in the main plot like he doesn't show up and interact with spark at all anytime yeah, later really. it doesn't matter so like i don't care that he's fighting some random asshole duke in some other yeah. fucking country <laughs> like well right and the thing that's so annoying about this too is that because of that we just have time that we could be spending with the main characters we could have character development or like motivation or something one of the many things that's just outright missing from them yeah but instead we're wasting all our time checking in on fan favorites who are (laughs) doing other stuff and it's just like i don't know it's just really bad like the the only thing i can there was one point when we were watching this where i said to you I feel like the stuff with Kashu is what everyone who are quote unquote fans of Star Wars uh, wanted the sequel trilogy to be with Luke. Yeah. Like basically, they just wanted more Luke Skywalker adventures, and the main the new characters can kind of go do whatever. We don't care about them. We just want more Luke, and it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> like. If you're going to make new characters for a new arc of a show, you need to actually stick by them and like develop them. And you need to be able to have some idea of how they feel about each other or what they want because they're the ones who you're going to be spending the most time with. But instead, we're constantly diverting away to characters that don't matter. And it's extremely frustrating because it leaves the actual main characters in this shitty predicament where they're unrelatable, uninteresting, robotic, nothing like, yeah, they're just, they're just one dimensional RPG cliches and that's it. Right. And Kashu is definitely the worst example of that, but Parn is also guilty. of Yeah. It. Like Parn, we we really don't need to know what Parn is up to. And as I said earlier, like Parn and Ashram actually have a rivalry and a relationship, justified or not. They at least have known each other for a yeah. long time and have been on opposite sides of a war. So, like, there's something there. And that's interesting, but... When you are doing that instead of having the actual main character have any kind of relationship to his villain outside of just they're the bad guy and they took my girlfriend, it's it's bad. Yeah, especially for a non, you know, they don't even like <laughs> it's like a non battle, too. They just like kind of fight for a second and then drop their swords and, you know, they don't even go climactic with that shit. And what with like. Parn and Cashew's kind of mentor relationship over Spark and Spark's like in training. Like I kind of get that vibe. It, it it makes it seem like Sparks and his entire adventure and all of his friends and parties and experiences are just supposed to be like reflections of how cool and good Parn and Cashew are as teachers. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. Like, similarly, I mean, to just keep using Star Wars as an example for this, Star Wars, the original trilogy, is not the adventures of Obi-Wan Kenobi going off to fight his big bad that he's had a, you know, problem with for decades. The the original trilogy isn't about Obi-Wan fighting Darth Maul, even if that is something that fucking happens in the cartoons, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Like, because that's not what the story is about. And that's not who the main characters are. And that would be irrelevant and unimportant and uninteresting. And that's what happens with this show. 
uh, you just concentrate on the wrong people, and it sucks. It's like they're trying to have too many like of the singular main character, but they just have like three of them. <laughs> right, and they're trying to appease fans almost by like we got to put Parn back in here because he was in the yeah, first no, bit for sure. And to be fair, I think some of this kind of just, again, comes down to the Dungeons and Dragons origin, or rather the role-playing game origin of this whole story. Like, yeah, it would be really fun if I was playing an RPG and, like, a character that I had played in a previous campaign showed up again and was, like, the mentor for my character or something. That's a nice little connection. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they're the one that you should spend all your time with necessarily because they're not the main they're not the protagonist anymore. It's like the show is incapable of letting go of its protagonists. Yeah. Instead, it just keeps collecting them. And as it collects them, each one gets less and less attention until you end up with Spark, who gets almost no attention in favor of the other guys. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I feel like we've belabored this point enough. So I'm going to move on to my other major problem with the show, which is like, it's just very bad at conveying information, period. And I went off about this a little bit in relation to world building in our last episode. I'm not going to do that again. Obviously, there are some issues with world building again here uh, in that, like, Carla showing up and not really getting any explanation or the dragons that just kind of pop out of nowhere. This time, I just want to discuss, like, just the way that characters interact with each other is so unnatural. (laughs) Yeah. and. And a lot of the problem with that is that they're just not animated to have any kind of body language or physical contact between characters that much. To be fair, I understand why. And it's because this is cell animation and like that stuff's expensive. Having camera moves and animation is something that requires a lot more work. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe not a lot more work, but it requires more work than the budget necessarily is going to allow. But the problem with this show is that the characters, whenever they're having a conversation, basically the only way any information is conveyed is through dialogue. You don't really have expression or, like, movement or any of the other things that make up a conversation between two people. And because the show doesn't show you any of that it's really difficult to get a handle on how anyone feels about each other or like their mission or what's happening at a given moment. Yeah. And, (laughs) and it's, it's just like, it's maybe not fair to compare it to a show that came out much later, but just watch any dialogue scene in this show and then watch like any given dialogue scene in She-Ra or, that is Shira Princesses of Power, the Netflix yeah. show, not the original. Yeah, the original is probably <laughs> Where I feel like the same this. thing would <laughs> very much so, I would imagine. But like Shira or Avatar, the last airbender, just the ways that the characters physically react to each mm-hmm. other tells you so much about their relationships. And it is totally absent in this show. Yeah. It's just not I can think of one example so and it is the aforementioned animatronic wink that has done so exactly and it's just that kind of stuff and I mean I guess there are occasions where characters have these sorts of moments but too frequently in this show the characters will just basically you know to use live action terms they'll just stand on their marks and deliver their lines they don't move Mm -hmm. They don't walk across the room. They don't, like, touch each other. They just all stand around and deliver their lines as though they're characters in a dialogue tree in a given Bethesda game. They they, they hardly even... That's how they interact with each other. And it's so fucking lifeless that it's impossible to care about anything. They hardly even change their facial expressions, too. Like, most most entire lines are delivered with, like, one static facial expression, and then, like, it might change for the the other line, but it doesn't, like, change partway through or anything like that. It's just, like, just kind of awkward staring at a face talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, right. Again, it it, legitimately, it feels like characters in Fallout talking to each other. 
and I can excuse that in a video game, but I absolutely cannot in a fucking TV show. Like, you can't just do that and expect me to care. Yeah. And the the problem is that that's true of, like, fucking everything. You just—the show is so bad at telling you what matters or what, like— I mean, I don't want to just repeat myself, but it's just hard to have a grasp on anything. And as a result, you end up just not caring about anything. It's just like I can't bring myself to want to watch this shit. And like, you know, there are other shows like Transformers Armada or something where I can watch it. And it's at least funny how fucking terrible it is. (laughs) This show, most of the time, no. Like you might get a chuckle out of a pretty stilted fucking performance. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, come on, like, get it over with. Right. And I think that comparing it to something like Transformers Armada, like, Armada is a terrible show, and it is full of mistakes and just outright bad decisions. But I can name a character that I actually cared to see where their arc went, Mm -hmm. which was Starscream. and. You know, it might not have gone anywhere interesting. It might have overall been kind of bad. But the thing is, there were still bits of Transformers Armada that were done competently enough that it gave me a reason to actually pay attention and care beyond the obligation of doing it for this podcast. Mm -hmm. This show gave me nothing except garbage. It's (laughs) it's terrible. Yep. Really, that's all there is to it. So uh, you recommend this one, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, so recommendations? No, of course I don't. Best left in the past. Never watch this show. (laughs) It's terrible. It's it's an embarrassment. And you know, the worst part is, we've talked about this, obviously, and you've brought up Pokemon as like your personal least good Mm -hmm. show that we've seen. But I would argue this is worse, because frankly... It's not surprising that Pokemon isn't something that two 30-year-old men might be interested in. It's for fucking kids. It's garb. Like, yeah, it's bad, but it's not really meant for us. This show, I feel like, kind of is up my alley, and it gives me nothing to work with. That's, like, yeah, Pokemon my only sucks, argument is that, but like, at least I know who the fucking main character of Pokemon is. Right. <laughs> my only argument for that is that um, this show, Lodos gives me nothing. I just feel nothing <laughs> except like just nothing and despair. Whereas Pokemon makes me like feel, makes me cringe extremely hard at their like really awful attempts at humor and then also feel despair. <laughs> so that's, that's the one thing I'll put under that. But I mean, good God. yeah, that's yeah. fair. Best left in the fucking past. This is a, this is a dumpster show. Yeah, I and, and, like, and I it, I like the OVA and the OVA like just watch that to fucking yeah, the OVA, ditch this garbage. Absolutely, as I said last week, I think the OVA is the best possible version of Record yeah. of Blood House War. And still, I don't think the OVA is particularly remarkable either. I think it's okay, but it's head and shoulders better than this. Like yeah. I I I I don't want to just keep saying it, but this show is bad. And it makes me upset that I spent so much time watching it yeah. and like it, and got one good episode, just one, one <laughs> yeah. single episode that I can point to and say, yeah, this one was this one held my attention and that's it. Yeah. Well, just embarrassing. Real quick run through the bet. <laughs> we had bet whether. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How many flashbacks? Yeah, there how many fucking be. flashbacks? They had a shitload, and I won. There were a <laughs> lot. Yeah, there were a, a roughly an average of about one per episode, which is not to say that there was literally one per episode, but, you know, <laughs> there were about 14 total flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of stopped counting after a certain point. So that means that you'll get to pick what we watch in a while. But we're going to have to do some housekeeping next week for our mini-sode. We are going to be changing the schedule of our releases, and we'll discuss that in more depth next week. I don't really want to go into it now. Yeah, sure. You know, that'll be next week. Exciting stuff. Not really. Uh, And then after that, we're going to do our New Year's special, which is going to be the live-action Masters of the Universe movie starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. 
Uh, I'm excited about this because I've never seen the movie and it's a canon film and their films are always really crazy. So uh, I'm excited to see how weird it gets. Also, it takes place in the real world, which is the best possible option for a movie like (laughs) He-Man. Yeah, reverse isekai, really. (laughs) Or it's it's a reverse isekai. (laughs) Right. So we'll we'll see what that's like. It looks Um, tremendous. It's our classic yearly tradition of watching a terrible live action movie, and I am uh, I'm very psyched. Yeah, that is tangentially related to something we've discussed on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> I, I uh, can but... only imagine it starts with Dolph Lundgren staring at the camera, going, "I'm Adam." I I would I would scream in <laughs> joy that if that happened. Really funny. <laughs> like I just want to see Dolph Lundgren play Prince Adam. That's it. Everything yeah. else can go away. I just yeah. want to see that. Uh, so yeah, I, I am legit excited for that. It'll also be nice to not have to watch Lodos anymore. Uh, but until then, I'm Michael Doak. And I'm Peter Eby. And be sure to revisit us in two weeks for He-Man Masters of the Universe. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're staying safe and about as comfortable as can be. I hope you have a good New Year's Eve if you happen to listen to this on the day of release or at least had a good New Year's Eve. Uh, And I hope that 2021 is better for all of us. This podcast is in support of Black Lives Matter. And if you check the relevant post on our website, that post being called Black Lives Matter, there are links to charities and lists of charities that you should consider donating to if you have the means. Of course, if you don't have the means, uh, no pressure. And obviously, there are a lot of other places that money could be put to good use right now uh, for your community. But Black Lives Matter, I think, is a cause worth donating to. So if you have the means please uh, consider it. Anyway, if you want more of our content, you can follow us over at facebook.com slash hbpod and twitter at hbpod, where we post all of our episodes as well as additional content related to what we've been watching. This is also a great way to get in contact with us if you are so inclined. Of course, subscribing on Apple Podcasts is also a surefire way to stay up to date. And while you're there, consider leaving us a review. It really helps us find new listeners. And, uh, you know, it's just nice to see what people think of your work. We will see you again in a couple of weeks for Masters of the Universe. And again, thanks for listening.